0: Welcome to Stupid Not Stupid. I'm Matt, as always here with my man Jason, the co-host whose acknowledgement of political boundaries is totally dependent on his legal situation at the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have a very fluid sense of boundary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Jason, what, uh, what beverage have you selected for this evening?
1: So... To the surprise of absolutely no one, I am two-fisting yet again. <laughs> Why do we even do this section yeah, I know. anymore? Um, however, I do have a slightly different uh, array of drinks tonight. Uh, I, I went with the Angel's Envy bourbon again because it's delicious and it's available. So I, I went with that. Uh, but for my choice of beers tonight, I'm super stoked. I don't know who left this in the fridge for poker a couple of weeks ago. But I have a, a, a stout from one of my all-time favorite local breweries. It's one of the best in, in the area called Old Busthead Brewery. So it's an Old Busthead stout.
0: Okay. I also think your, uh, your review of the Angel's Envy is something I'm going to print on a T-shirt that you can wear to the bar. Delicious <laughs> and available. <laughs> That's my new catchphrase for you whenever you go out. I like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, all right, Jason. So I, I'm going to ask you a question, and it's, it's not well, a stupid – First of all, what are you drinking? Oh, shoot. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me out to be the alcoholic here. Yeah, care, all right. right.
0: Well, I'm I'm in support and in solidarity with Jason, so he for once doesn't have to drink alone. Uh, I'm joining him with the Nectar of the Gods, which was previously described on this show by um, Dr. TJ as, uh, what did he have, a steel reserve? <laughs> I think that's what he referred to as the Nectar of the Gods, but I actually believe uh, Allagash White to be the, the true Nectar of the Gods. Is Allagash, is that local... Beer, or is that a national I know that. Brand? Uh, I think it is. I've never seen it anywhere else. A, it's at least regional. Okay, yeah. well, hold on. Everyone, wait, wait, take a sip. Okay, now go to the store and find an Allegash White, because that's the most delicious thing I ever <laughs> tasted. Delicious <laughs> and available at a store near you in the Mid-Atlantic region exclusively. Right. <laughs> All right, so this is the question I wanted to ask you, Jason. And it's not our stupid, not stupid question, but let's start it off with this. Do you think the United States is an equitable place to live?
1: Uh, It depends on how you define equitable, but overall I would say no. No. Okay.
0: So uh, (laughs) I think the title probably gave it away and obviously you know what the topic we're going to cover today is, but what do you think the most efficient thing that we could do as a country to address the inequality that we both – agree exists. Well, that's very simple. Make yeah. me overlord. Yeah. <laughs> one single state of, uh, what do we call it? Calahandria? Yeah. Yeah. The, the macro micro nation of Calahandria. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am going to make the argument uh, in this episode, Jason, that the number one thing we could do to address inequality in the United States is to redraw the states that unite us redraw the political boundaries. And I just want to be clear here because I don't know why this stuck with me. I learned this like in fifth grade uh, social studies class. When we talk about political boundaries, it doesn't really have anything to do with politics per se. It's just the assigned Lines of demarcation between the states. So that's what I mean when I say political boundaries. Right.
1: Uh, so we're not talking about like redistricting.
0: Not no, not like redistricting um, magisterial seats or congressional districts. We're talking about the states themselves. Right. By redrawing those lines, I think we could do a lot to address inequality in the United States.
1: Well, there are certainly a couple places I would like to redraw out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we can discuss
1: that. It's, it, everything, Everything's on the table.
0: That's and right. speaking of everything being on the table, I would like us to make a gentleman's agreement okay. at the beginning of this uh, f- verbal and mental fencing. Um, I know there's not a gentleman on either side of this table, no. <laughs> but we'll call it a gentleman's agreement nonetheless. I don't want to get into the same conundrum we got into with the Electoral College, and I think the Electoral College might come up in sure. this episode. Right. So let's agree that it's probably not going to happen, and we won't call it stupid because we don't think it's likely in the near future.
1: Oh, that's Yeah, I was actually going to start this whole conversation off with saying that you said this wasn't a stupid, not stupid question, and I was going to say, well, it's well, the, kind the of-
0: The equality question is stupid, not stupid. The stupid, not stupid question is stupid or not stupid, we should redraw the states. Right.
1: And yeah, I was going to say, you know, right out the gate, I think it's stupid just because of how impossible it is to do. That said, I am willing to, to make your to, – to take your caveat into – or take your caveat to heart. by gentleman's agreement. Jessica. Your gen- gentleman's agreement. Yeah. Yes.
0: I will be gentle with you, man. <laughs> um,
1: yes. In our current
0: political system, our current society or the configuration of our country today as we know it, yes, none of the scenarios I think we're going to discuss in this episode are likely. However, we've discussed other scenarios on this show such as like the Gilead scenario where the United States basically gets a reset, becomes a different nation, whether it's been conquered from outward or from within. And, we get a chance to just start from scratch we hit the reset button so you can th- look at it through that context too is this how we would do it if we got to start from zero
1: right uh, and initially when you suggested this topic i was i was a little down on it because i thought it was a counterfactual counterfactual it's counterfactual <laughs> but in fact it's not a counterfactual it is possible it's just not plausible
0: okay yeah. well says you right all right so stupid or not stupid We should redraw the states. Here we go. Okay. So the first thing I think we need to get into here, Jason, is what are the problems with our current configuration, the current (laughs) configuration of the United States? Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in order to understand where we are, we have to think about where we've come from. Right. So we had the original 13 colonies, which were in turn the first 13 states. And so on average, after we ratified the 13th of the 13 colonies as a state, we added a new state on average every three years. It's not perfect because we get interrupted by the Civil War, um, although there was actually states added at that time too. But
1: Yeah, for different reasons. For but different yeah.
0: reasons, yeah. So, but uh, on average, we added a new state every three years until so, we got to the 50 states that we have today.
1: Yeah. But again, talking about you have to understand where you came from, keep in mind that those th- original 13 states were originally colonies. So they, they weren't very big. But right. that was where – You know, the, the heart of industry lay or the heart of civilization lay in the nation for a really long time. So as a result, you've ended up with the Northeast where most of these colonies, original colonies were, you know, the eastern seaboard. You know, you have these states that are not particularly big by comparison to later states that are, that tend to be far more heavily Populated right. than almost any of the other states.
0: Yeah, and that's going to come into a play, I think, in a lot of different restructuring scenarios that we're going to look at. Exactly. But, but
1: yeah. I, I just find it fascinating that like that beginning state has lasted for, right. you know, it has compounded over time for you know several hundred years. Yeah, it
0: hasn't diluted and spread out. It's just remained concentrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we go through this journey where we add a new state every three years until we get to the fifty state configuration that we have today. At the time that we added Hawaii as the 50th state, there were 95 million people living in the United States. Wow. <laughs> there are over 350 million people in the United States today.
1: Uh, last, I I haven't seen the latest census data. Is it over 350 now?
0: Yeah, it's over 350. Okay. Yeah. So we have maintained the same configuration despite more than tripling our population.
1: And again, that configuration, uh, that population has not been equally spread. It's not a peanut butter spread ac- across the country, right? right? It's in very specific dense areas.
0: Yet another problem we've identified, and we haven't even cracked the surface yet. Right. Um, so just to contextualize this a little bit more before we get into uh, what some of the serious problems are that I see, and I know Jason's going to agree with me, some of the serious problems that I see with our current configuration of the states, let's just try to put this in perspective. So when you try to look for another comparable land mass or Uh, state configuration in the world with the United States to try to draw an analogy to put this into context, Europe is the obvious candidate.
1: Yeah, there's almost
0: nowhere else that looks similar. Europe and the United States are roughly a million square kilometers, plus or minus. I think it's like less than a million square kilometers of deviation between the two. So Europe in the same... Geographic parameters is the United States has 44 nations inside of it. So 44 nations versus 50 states. In, in the United States, we have the 350 million. We have more than double that. Well, I'm just under double that in Europe. at 746. That's pretty oh. densely packed. Twice the people in the same amount of space. So that already there goes to show you, okay, there's something unique and different about the way that we've come to this point in the United States than other places, the most analogous other
1: system on earth does it. Yeah. And I was about to say, geez, it's no wonder they fight so much historically. And then I thought, well. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: Europe's the most comparable, but then you go and look at countries like, so China, like I said, we're at 330 million. China has 1.4 billion residents. They only have 33 states. India,
1: 1.3 billion, 36 states. So India, more than China to me, is sort of insanely populated. You know, China has a much larger population, and as you say, like 33 states, but it's spread out over a huge geographic region. And India is, by comparison, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm trying to make the
0: case like from a um, square kilometers point of, point of view, but the fact that it's 1.4 billion people, and they're organized into 33 units, right? and we have- 350 million people organized
1: into 50 units. Yeah. I was just – I was thinking in terms of population density. But yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, and then the again, I just want to be clear. I don't want to fall into the trope that um, all of my favorite people fall into. I, I recognize Africa as a continent and not a country. Yes. <laughs> but Africa, 1.2 billion people in 54 countries. Right. So – Roughly the same amount of organizational units as the United States, but over triple the population.
1: Right. Well, you know that comparison we were using with Europe as well. So I, that's yeah, you know, countries versus states in this in this particular type of comparison, I think is warranted without trying to offend anyone. Yeah. Right. Well,
0: I, I am trying to offend people, but just like very specific people, not right. an entire <laughs> continent. Like there are there are people who live in Africa. And people who live in Europe, who I would like to offend equally, sure, yeah, understood, <laughs> yes. Um, and right here in the good old
1: U.S. of yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure,
0: yeah. Okay, so that's just to contextualize it. So we have, you know, roughly the same square footage, square footage, the square kilometerage of our brethren nations, our ancestor nations, uh, but we we haven't organized the same way. And what are some of the consequences of that? So for me, and I'm the first one that jumps out to me are the political ramifications. Of this. So, because of the way that we have organized the states, and I think we're seeing this even more. So pronounced in you know contemporary politics. Although I think there's a case for this across the history of the United States. If you go backwards, we become totally politically entrenched and attach political identity to the state that you live in. Um, so that's you know kind of the first consequence of that. I don't think anyone would agree that the the polarization of the U.S. political system is a positive thing. And that's you could make a case that if not, like I don't think it's hundred percent directly related to the configuration of the states, but they certainly contribute to it.
1: I think that that's absolutely true, and I think that the founding fathers were trying to avoid that. I mean, right. we were not predisposed to a, a two-party system when the country was first founded. As a matter of fact, they were trying to avoid that entirely, and it just didn't work out that way.
0: Okay, so so we agree. Political entrenchment, negative to our current system.
1: Right. I would go one step further than that because I would suggest that some of the political entrenchment is actually due to economic disparities as well. I, yeah,
0: I, that, I think that that's exactly where we're going. Yeah. Um, one of the other issues I think uh, with the with the current configuration is I think there's public health implications. So look at the current pandemic. You can I think we talked about this in an earlier episode. You can rank um, states by their the way they went in the U.S. presidential cycle and rate that against the amount of uh, COVID infection, like post-vaccine availability, um, and see a direct correlation between yeah. those two uh, things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So public health implications, political implications, uh, beating the drum again on the, uh, on the political implications. Everyone go back and hear our uh, Electoral College episode uh, back in the infancy of the podcast. But again, last three, three of the last five, I think this is what we had, three of the last five presidential elections. Well, I guess- the current president hadn't been elected yet. So I guess three of the last six presidential elections, when we said this last time, have been decided that the winner has lost the popular vote. Right. Right. Which is which is nuts. And again, a direct, I think, result of our current configuration of the states and the way that we allocate electoral college votes. Agreed. A system
1: that was written into law you know, hundreds of years ago when the current dynamics of, didn't exist. of, of the economy, the dynamics of politics didn't exist at all.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then the, the last one, just on the political front, that I, I think is extremely problematic and disenfranchises people is, uh, you know, we have a 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate right now. In the U.S. Senate, for international listeners, every state gets two senators. Right. Um, so that we have an exact down-the-middle split between the two parties in the United States, but, the, but one party represents 40 million
1: more people than the other party, yeah. uh, but gets the same amount of votes. Now, unlike the things that we were talking about earlier, this was the intention of the founding fathers right this was supposed to be that the senate would represent the minority view and would represent sort of the landed elites or the you know what have but you But
0: to this extreme i mean maybe this is a whole other episode the senate stupid or not stupid but
1: Right but again you know that that was the intent of having senate represent uh, representation one per or two per state but at the time, there were far fewer states and a f- much smaller population. So, the House of Representatives was much smaller, meaning that each representative in the House had more power. So, yeah, the the disparity of power is the result of both population shifts and, and growth and this sort of archaic… Uh, configuration of right, the states. And this idea of having two senators per state figures into the Civil War topic that we're going to get into about, you know, adding states for political reasons. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, so looking at the political consequences that we're dealing with now from the configuration of the states, I, I think we should look at some case studies of some particular states that because of political consequences even exist and are facing some of the challenges that they faced in the modern-day United States as a result of decisions that were made in the early United States. So I tried to start to dig in and look at interesting, it's like states with interesting origins. One of the states that I think has the best origin story but is also the most effed up because of it – Is West Virginia. Do you know how West Virginia became a state, Jason? (laughs) I have
1: no idea, but I assume it has something to do with coal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) More coal! Um, So West Virginia was originally not an autonomous or independence area. It was encompassed by the Commonwealth of Virginia. The original Commonwealth of Virginia contained West Virginia as we know it today. When Virginia seceded from the Union... West Virginia seceded from Virginia
1: did though I did know this and had forgotten this.
0: yeah, so there were there were three counties in Virginia that at at the House of Burgesses or whatever they they called it back then. They voted not to secede. And all three of those members went back to their counties that comprised West Virginia. And said, we're not having this. And they seceded. And they drew the line of their new – well, I guess they're new. I guess they would become the OG then, Virginia, at that point (laughs) from a Federalist perspective. But they drew the line at the Appalachian Mountains because they felt that that was defensible and that was the natural county line that they had uh, within what was formerly known as Virginia.
1: Yeah, I remember this now from when you and I went to a wedding of a a dear friend of ours uh, who was a guest on our uh, uh, Lord of the Rings episode – Driving through West Virginia, where they held the, we- the the wedding ceremony, and being astonished at the sheer volume of Confederate flags that were flying in a state that had been formed specifically
0: right to <laughs> repudiate the the Confederacy. And, and think so as we drove through through West Virginia, Jason, what did we see? Basically, poverty. Yeah, absolutely no like infrastructure or diversity of um, employment. It was just roadside shops, houses and trailers and pretty terrible disrespect like it's not something you put on a billboard like move to West Virginia, the area of West Virginia we drove through. Right.
1: Well, which was which was really depressing because the state itself is beautiful.
0: Right. Yeah. So so based of based off what we saw, Jason, I looked up some indicators. And if you look up in terms of income, in terms of education, in terms of basically any socioeconomic indicator that you can look at in the United States. West Virginia is either last or near the bottom of the list. Now, I was going to say they're probably competing with like Mississippi and yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. Seventeen out of a hundred people in West Virginia are on welfare. Seventeen percent of their whole population uh, have to get supplemented from outside resources from the federal government to be able just to subsist.
1: That's an astonishingly high rate,
0: right? So that's actually a pretty crappy reward for being loyal to the union, if you ask me, because the reason that West Virginia is in the situation that it's in is because it seceded. It's not a track of territory, an area of land that anyone ever would have looked at and said, oh, this is a place that can be totally autonomous and exist on its own and be fine. This is a great idea. Right. It doesn't have access to any major port, including from like a river perspective. Right. It doesn't have any arable farmland to speak of. Right. It doesn't have anywhere flat for like major development. Um, and that all of those... Factors combined means that it doesn't have a diversified suite of options for its economy. West Virginia probably would have been even worse if they didn't just hit the lottery and understand that they were on, like, end up being on a giant pile of coal. Right. Um, so the, the inevitable was delayed a little bit by the coal industry being able to prop up the economy there. But as that's phased out, there's literally no practical reason that you would draw political lines. Around the area of West Virginia, and say this is a good place that has the capacity
1: to administer itself. How ironic that the state motto should be "God bless all those poor dinosaurs." Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so this is
0: this is just kind of like the first example. So here's something that happened, you know, over a hundred years ago for political reasons that has had ramifications that has impacted the lives of millions of people who have lived in West Virginia since West Virginia seceded from Virginia. There is no. Other practical or good reason that West Virginia exists in the configuration that it does today,
1: right? And you pointed something else out in the conversation about West Virginia that I sort of alluded to earlier in this con- in this discussion. Um, the idea of the uh, heavily populated coastal areas on either su- on either coast of the United States, as opposed to the relatively sparsely populated middle region, and what you what you see is that. You know, the middle region of the country basically feeds the rest of the country. Oh, yeah.
0: We'll get to that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Uh, I would definitely want to talk about that. And when
1: you start talking about an increasingly globalized economy, you know, originally it was just shipping back and forth with England on the East Coast, but it it becomes global and, and moving finished goods and raw materials in and out of the country is at the ports, which tends to be far more lucrative than farming which is why you see this disparity of income initially on the coasts as opposed to the, 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 the middle states. And I'm speaking in very, very broad terms, but that was the, the initial starter of the economic disparity between – the coastal states and the interstates. Yeah.
0: Right. And it's just been exacerbated because of our terrible configuration of the states, yeah. thus proving yeah, yeah. that we should redraw them. Yeah. All right. So West Virginia is one great case study. Another another good one in states that just make no sense and the genesis of their origin has had severe and negative repercussions for the people who live in them uh, is Nevada. So we talked about this rush to add states to the union. Uh, Nevada was added to the union, I believe it's like nine days before Lincoln's reelection um, in a direct bid to bolster, to basically ensure the fact that Lincoln would be reelected. Because you need those
1: electoral college votes. Exactly.
0: Look, I'm a big proponent of Abraham Lincoln, but again proving that the electoral college
1: (laughs) is nothing but a tool for the bourgeoisie to manipulate all us peasants. Right. Um, So Uh, if we were to redo that episode now, given the state of affairs Currently in this country, I've come down wholly stupid, but wholly on, on the side of the electoral college. Is it, is this stupid. is your first stupid that stupid revision. I'm proud of you, yeah. Jason. You're yeah, really yeah. growing. Um, but no- actually, I feel like everything else is collapsing and I'm just reevaluating <laughs> my position.
0: Well, if, but if, if you look at Nevada, other than getting Abraham Lincoln reelected to his very short second term, there is no practical reason to have Nevada, like to design Nevada the way that we did. Nevada is almost totally trapped in a dry river basin with no access to water. Yeah, I believe the mafia would disagree with you. Well, so this is what's interesting. Pre-Las <laughs> pre, pre Las Vegas, Nevada was the least populous state in the United States. And post-Las Vegas, uh, Nevada became the fastest growing state in the United States until 2008. Right. But when you look at the development in Nevada, it's all had to occur... In one centralized populous spot, there is there's not there's not a uh, popping up of suburbs or cities and townships across Nevada. It's basically Nevada and Reno and nothing else. Right. There's no practical reason Las Vegas and Reno. or Las I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There, there's Las Vegas and Reno and nothing else. There's there was no practical reason until gambling for nevada to be populous because it was so poorly designed so again yep. just another example of you know the political ramifications of over a hundred years ago having negative impacts based on our current configuration today
1: well i i have to say that that whole area of the country uh having grown up in oakridge tennessee turned out to be really useful for testing nuclear weapons right
0: <laughs> okay so we found two applications i'm sorry sin sin city and a bombs right okay All right. So that's sort of the, that's sort of the political implications. But another, I think another real challenge to our, our current, our current state configuration is from a resource management perspective. There's, (laughs) there's a word that I love in the English. Well, I guess it's not really in the English language. It's, I guess it's a Native American word, but it's from one of my favorite books, Lonesome Dove. I just love the word (laughs) Ogallala. I just think it's a great word. Uh, but there, there's a, there's something called the Ogallala Aquifer. So this is, we have the Great Plains, basically the huge empty space that uh, covers, I guess, the width of the Louisiana Purchase that was just plains land for millions of years and just sat there absorbing rainwater and growing grass. And all that water that was captured in the ground formed the Ogallala Aquifer, which essentially extends from the southern part of North Dakota all the way down through Texas. It's just one giant, massive subterranean lake. And it's what we've tapped into to basically turn the Great Plains into the Great Farm Plains. Right. This is what feeds the U.S. agricultural sector, um, and and allows that to be the breadbasket. And once we empty that lake, it will become
1: the Great Okalala Fault Plain. Right.
0: Well, this is that's sort of what happened in the Dust Bowl, right? Right. So we'll, well I think we'll end up talking about that a little bit more, but that's happened before. We've kind of like tapped it out. Now, technology caught up and we were able to dig deeper and access it more efficiently. But um, at at one point, we kind of got a preview and that that caused the Great Depression. We got a preview of what can happen when you basically farm this area bare. It was one of the causes of the Great Depression. (laughs) But the Ogallala Aquifer touches eight states, eight independent state governments all in a race to the bottom to see who can pump the most water out of the Ogla Aquifer to increase their specific agricultural yields, to increase their revenue, to increase their tax stream, to outperform their neighbors. Eight states that are essentially, I mean, really take a step back and look, essentially carbon copies of the same state.
1: Right. They are right. all
0: exactly <laughs> the same. There is no practical reason Beside the fact, besides the fact that you know they were brought in in three-year tiers and drawn, basically, this is the part of the country where you look at the map and you start to see like puzzle pieces fit yeah, together. They're just they're all square. They're all yeah, just rectangles. squares. Yeah. yeah. There's no practical reason beyond the administrative way that they were brought into the into the union for them to not just be one contiguous state with one kind of master administration system over this resource that
1: basically our entire economy is dependent on. Right. No, there have been you know many scholars who talk about this idea that the the battles of the twenty you know twenty first century are are going to be about water rights. But usually, when you th- you think in those terms, it's about surface water rights. You know, rivers running between countries or between states. You're exactly right. These aquifers are equally, if not more, important to th- to this argument. So again, resource
0: implications for old political decisions that were made that define our current state system. This is kind of an interesting point to think about. You, you have to look at all of them, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Missouri, kind of the same way we look at West Virginia. It's just that they're still on their coal boom, right? They have access to the aquifer, but their economies are totally dependent on agriculture. This is when you... Well, agriculture and, and natural gas at this point. Yeah, but agriculture yeah. and fracking. Sorry. Okay, so totally dependent on a very niche set of of industries. The only standout here, and you have to kind of look at the, the central United States that quote-unquote flyover states, there's only one of them that's a true economic powerhouse and truly successful, and that's Texas, because Texas is the only one not doing this, that has diversified its economy and does have, I wouldn't, there's a lot of things Texas isn't successful at and shouldn't be right. like that too uh, as a, a a beacon of uh, progress for. Um, but from an economic perspective, Texas is the one not doing this and not doubling down on this non-renewable resource or at least
1: not renewable at the rate that we're taking it out. Well, and yes, it kind of so gives no. you a preview of what could go wrong. Sure. But Texas is sort of a recent uh, non-adherent to this model that you're talking sure. about. Uh, you know, Texas tea was a, a term used for oil for many, many years. And I remember driving through Dallas, Texas back in like 1989 and half the city was turned off at night because, you know, 10 years earlier, it had been one of the richest cities in the country. And then there was an oil glut and everybody went out of business. And then, you know, there was an oil shortage and business was a booming again. It, it's only been in the past, you know, 20, 25 years that Texas has started to diversify. And even then, it's in pockets in Texas. It's not like the whole state is more prosperous than these other states that we're discussing here. It's – they're sort of technology corridors or areas and they tend to be around, you know, populous cities or, or university towns in Texas. So you're 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 correct in that they are diversifying in a way that these other states are just now starting to attempt.
0: Right. If if the aquifer went dry today, Texas would probably be okay. Missouri's right. probably done. Right. Right.
1: But again, with Texas, it, what I find fascinating is that this is a state that it's just now coming out of this this resource boom and bust cycle, and there's still like serious talk in this state about seceding <laughs> from the United States. Yep. And as I said, portions of the state are doing very well. Let's Other all, portions of the state are all not. Let's all remember, Texas asked to come in. Okay, right. Texas was <laughs> a country. <laughs> yeah, and if they want to leave, you know, the we were talking about the amount of, of federal dollars flowing into into West Virginia. Texas is is a, it's a way net up there on the list. yeah, it's a net taker, not a net giver, from a federal dollar standpoint. If they were to secede, man, that economy would collapse almost immediately.
0: All right. Do you have any other major problems that you – like what are the – do you have other problems, Jason, that you think we need to – that are a direct consequence of our current configuration? Before we talk about how we're going to fix them.
1: Sure. So I've got two. One is the electrical grid. And if you look at the electrical grid regions and the way that they're, they're set up, there are basically like four electrical regions in the country that are almost independent. And some of them are better than others. And going back to Texas, I don't mean to keep hammering on them, but they are one of these four regions. Yeah. Because, and we saw we saw what happened. Yeah. It wasn't pretty, right? So, so are you
0: advocating for four states, Jason, just based off electrical grids? We just have four states in the United States based
1: off the electrical grid. I I don't want to advocate for that, but I know that, th- that those different electrical regions have very different views on how to modernize their grid and what they're willing to pay to do it. And- if one of them does it and the others don't, it becomes this you know, asymmetrical, like you could pay – if you're in the region that wants to upgrade and you're mm-hmm. next to these other regions, you can pay a tremendous amount of money and still see very little profit from your investment if everybody else doesn't do it. Right. So that's kind of an argument for – maybe it should be an electrical region. Um, the other delineator that I see is transportation. The existence of roads, the existence of airports, the existence of – Canals or rivers. This is where you see uh, is Transportation hubs, be it you know rail, be it boats, be it uh, air uh, transportation of packages or mail or you know even food. The areas that have uh, significant hubs of transportation tend to be economically far more viable or far more lucrative mm-hmm. than areas that have very little transportation options or very few transportation option- options. So you know uh, you look at some a, a state like Georgia Georgia itself is not a particularly interesting state but if you look at Atlanta and Savannah they they tend to be doing a lot better than their neighbors a because of population differences but you know Savannah is not a big town but it has a huge shipping capability you know it competes with Charleston it competes with Florida but there's a lot of money flowing through Savannah that is not happening at a lot of other coastal cities in Georgia. And, and Atlanta, you look at Atlanta and you look at the rest of Georgia, Atlanta is is wealthier than the rest of Georgia combined. And its population is probably more than the rest of Georgia combined. It's it's almost a city-state within a state. So maybe, maybe city-states
0: – are the solution, Jason. I don't know. Well, I, I think we'll get into this in the solutions section. Yeah, but that's fine. I, 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 that's probably where, where we've arrived. But I think what uh, – this is where I'm coming down. Yeah. With these problems that we've identified now, for me, the solution is clear. We have too many states, Jason. That is the clear problem. We have too many. <laughs> we've created problems for political expediency hundreds of years ago in some cases. And it's time to correct those wrongs. The time the time has come. So I think going going back to the date because I'm all about data, right? You know <laughs> you know me. It's gotta be hard science or I'm not in. Right. So <laughs> Right yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I know about yeah. you.
0: Yeah. So so going going back to the data, we'll use Europe as the baseline. So Europe does seven hundred and seventy four million people into into forty four organizational units, otherwise known as countries. That means proportionally in the United States are three hundred and fifty million people could be effectively and from uh you know going back to our cannibalism episode here from a from a utilitarian from a utility point of view divided effectively into 20 units or 20 states right so now the question becomes if we want to look at it from that from that efficiency perspective how do we divide those approximately 20 or less states because you know less is more jason the yeah. fewer, the better, as far as I'm
1: concerned. I strongly suspect that Rhode Island and Wyoming would have radically different views on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not.
0: When they hear what's in it for them, uh, how their situation might improve and the advantages that might become available to them, they might change their tune. Okay. Um, they might change their tune from uh, Deep in the Heart of Dixie to the Star-Spangled Banner. So we'll, I guess, well, no, Rhode, Rhode Island would already be Star-Spangled Banner. Right. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Rhode Island. Um, okay, so Jason, what are the... Common sense, non-political, you know, not going to look back as a species in 200 years and realize that we, we fucked it up for the, the cyborgs of the future in terms of our, our organization of the states. What are some of the, uh, what do you think are some of the parameters we could design around? For me, the obvious and easiest first one that pops up is geography. So do you think it would make sense to go back and look at the map and say, okay, mountain range here, river here, major interstate here. And draw lines based on that would be the crudest mo I, the thing that would have, like
1: occur to most people first. Sure, I think that that one's probably a bad one because you end up with these natural resource disparities mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. If you go out to say the Rocky Mountains, if you use the Rockies as your your delineation between two states, well, just the the natural flow of weather across the country in the, you know, from west to east means that one side of those mountains tends to be pretty brutal and the other side of those mountains tends to be pretty fertile. Right. So
0: I think we saw that in our drive across the state of Washington when we crossed right. the Cascades recently. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So, I I don't know that you would end up with a sense of equity using I, I'm natural with, features.
0: I, I'm with you on this one. I just think it, it's probably the thing that occurs – to the simplest among us, the quickest. And as <laughs> I, one of the simpletons, would, I embrace that.
1: Right. No, it it probably is the easiest way to do it. It's just not the most accurate. We have a lot of the same problems. So geography,
0: geography is out for me. Right. So what if we tried to define it by population? So there I guess there are two ways to look at this. So population, we just make a grid. So we straight up just draw a checkerboard across the United States and say, just like, well, pre-gerrymandering congressional districts all right, there are 1.5 million people in this grid. Draw the next square, stupid or not stupid.
1: So you would basically end up with different size squares that all have 1.5 million people. Exactly. I, I kind of feel like that's what we already have, right? And yeah, that, the, at least in the West Coast. Or right. the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you end up with like one very small square and 10 immense, like 10 squares that are orders of magnitude larger than the one small square. But
0: still also don't take into consideration resources access to ports right. all these other things right. so we end up with a lot of the same problems yeah
1: and if we're gonna stick with the two senators per state model right <laughs> <laughs> that's sure. that's a horrible idea
0: okay so I, I, I'm with you on that one too but now getting back to kind of what you were talking about with Atlanta and Savannah what about basing it off doing the squares with uh, with an equitable amount of people but doing it more as like overlapping spheres of influence based off population centers based off economic zones so some people have looked at this and if you if you basically took like the major economic centers across the country and just tried to jet out equal distance from the high population zones without overlapping too severely with other with other high population zones sphere of influence you roughly end up with about 50 states again but drastically reconfigured the advantages to this, are that you don't have high population centers on like the border with another state. And it really eliminates pockets of folks who are so far from a population zone that they don't have inside of their own state infrastructure access to resources um, or are you know, really outside of the system. Everyone is equitably placed from their quote-unquote state capital. So that's the advantage in this system. Uh, the other advantage is we get to break it up more. Um, So some people might see it that way. That's a failure for me. Less states is more for me. I'm all about breaking things up. Yeah. (laughs) And then the the other big problem with this one is (laughs) some places in the United States are just too far from population centers. So if you look – if you did this on a map, you'd find out that like most of Montana – northern Colorado, parts of North and South Dakota, there really is no population center within a measurable distance to be able to kind of do this spherical approach. But but what do you think on this idea, Jason, doing it like, quote unquote, city states and saying like, okay, you're within 100 miles of, I don't know, Kansas City. So you're in the Kansas City sphere of influence. And this is how we, this is how we're going to administer the states.
1: So looking at this, it actually makes more sense than the current configuration that we have, but I think that you still run into the same issues that we have with like if if, if we assume that we're staying with a two-party system. I think you still end up with the same polarization the political issues. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, no, I'm with you, but do you feel like do you feel like we're trending towards it's closer. Utility? It makes,
1: yeah, as I say, it makes more sense than what we have now. It alleviates some problems, but I don't think it solves them.
0: It, it doesn't solve all. Yeah. Of them.
1: Okay. And there's there's too many states. We need
0: less states. That's I'm that's my that is the cornerstone of my political platform. Less states. Like it's it's Reniger 2036. We need to eliminate some states. <laughs> Me and Joe Exotic. We're going for it.
1: (laughs) What's that Bill Burr routine about? (laughs) We we just have too many people. We just need to get rid of some people. So reach under your chair. Pull out a pencil. If you don't have a pencil, you're already out of here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's the thing? Dwight turns to the camera. We need another plague. Yeah. Okay, so the, the city-state idea, we're, we're moving closer to having a more – look, we already have a more perfect union, but what we need is a more efficient union. So we're squeaking that way. So the next way I think we could look at this is uh, what about culturally? What if we culturally tried to carve up the United States into regions that might decrease contention between those of different ideological views because they wouldn't have to compete with each other as fiercely? The example of this being – we'll go back to our road trip – My state of Washington. So we began our trip in Western Washington, kind of like a a liberal progressive bastion. We crossed the mountains. And if I told you we were in Montana or Idaho, you probably would have believed me. And this creates huge problems in the state of Washington because all the people who live on the eastern side of the state all hate the people who live on the western side of the state. So folks who have looked at this and said, okay, we should consider reconfiguring the United States, they've broke it down. I think they had like six distinct regions if we broke the United States down culturally into consecutive areas. So you would have basically everything from Seattle down to San Francisco as uh, the left coast is what <laughs> they call it. So we group all of that together. So coastal California and the coastal areas of Washington State and Oregon then we're, we're going to journey because we're, we're doing everything in reverse order. We're going to reverse colonize the United States here. Gotcha. So we're going to go from west to east. Right. That runs you into the far west, which is basically the whole breadbasket. So eastern Washington, eastern Oregon, eastern California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, all, all of the areas basically covered by the Ogallala Reservoir are all one contiguous region. Parts, parts of state. Arizona, parts of New Mexico. Yeah, all, all of that there. Then we have greater Appalachia. So um, all of the areas, most of Texas, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, all of those areas that go through Appalachia, but they have access to the Mississippi River, which is a total game changer for places places like West Virginia.
1: I grew up in Appalachia. I've spent much of my life in Appalachia. You should not call it greater Appalachia.
0: (laughs) Well, I I would rather live in greater Appalachia than uh, the next region of the United States that would be grouped together in this configuration, and that's the Deep South. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the the Deep South includes uh, most of Louisiana, most of Mississippi, um, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, or about half of Texas. Um, and all of that is grouped together as one contiguous cultural area and left to cooperate together as a state. Um, right. The piece that's carved out of that is basically greater New Orleans, um, which is uh, which is considered New France, which I think is neat.
1: Right, which I uh, it's great. But like in 10 years, we can just go ahead and cross that off the map because it's going to be underwater. It's going to be underwater right, anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, they'll I, lose two as senators. As well as uh, the – The the southern part of Florida, which we'll get to here. (laughs) Yeah. And then even
0: south of the deep south, we basically give up Florida. Uh, We recognize that when we're looking at that years
1: ago.
0: (laughs) 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 We realize when we're looking at it culturally, we just say uh, part of the Spanish Caribbean. Right. Um, We we basically surrender. Give it back to Spain. Give it back to Spain. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of the area where we live now. So like northern Virginia, excluding the rural parts of Virginia and Uh, Northern North Carolina, excluding the rural parts of North Carolina, become an area known as the Tidewater. Uh, We have one contiguous area around the Great Lakes, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, known as the Great Lakes or the Midlands. I'm sorry, known as the Midlands. And then everything else basically from Boston north to the Canadian border all through New England is (laughs) yankee So we have. What do we have there? One, two. I think the
1: people from Boston would take great exception to that.
0: <laughs> we got. We <laughs> we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven, seven distinct states in the United States based purely off culture. Now, given the size of these areas, it kind of solves all the resource issues because they're they're geographically broad enough that you're kind of encompassing. Um, the natural resources that you need. Everyone has access to trade and shipping in some way. Every state that has a problem now autonomously on its own has its problem kind of solved by the partner states that are pulled in with this map. So is this a solid argument for why we should arrange the United States culturally into distinct groups?
1: See, it's funny. You look at this as like this efficient model that alleviates all of these natural resource issues. It, it- Decreases them. I don't think it alleviates them. I look at this as a recipe for the next civil war.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. Um, I'm already like looking at this as like a risk board yeah, when exactly. I see this Yeah, like, this is
1: this is not going to end well and it's going to take like 3 years. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so like just just looking at that, I mean, the far west is clearly the Russia. Right. So that's that's the place where you don't want to move into. The left coast is Australia. We just got to get a foothold and hold out, foothold and hold out and we get our two extra reinforcements every turn. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I I definitely see it. I think it, it it
1: simplifies a lot of the problems and exacerbates a few more. Uh, it, if you take politics out of it, if you take the culture out of the cultural redistribution, <laughs> um, I understand how this map would come about. But you can't take those things out of this. And as a result, I think it's that's just – it's like having a boiling pot and like throwing dynamite into yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I'm with you so far. I feel like we're squeaking closer to um,
0: how the ants would design it right. st- <laughs> towards true utility. We're not there yet. Well, they're going to design it anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything's going to be a hexagon all across the US. All right. Well, before I give you my winner, Jason, do, yes. do you have any – I mean, just do you want to pull one out of a hat? Do you have any parameters for a design of the United like, – is there a standard or
1: a rubric by which you would want to design the United States that you yeah. think could fix this? So you and I spend a fair – well, we haven't in the past year and a half or two years, but we used to spend a tremendous amount of time in Washington, D.C., and there's nothing more frustrating – and uh, debilitating to any sense of normalcy or efficiency than the way that DC is designed, the road, the triangular yes. triangular road system. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we start in the absolute center point of the United States, and we just <laughs> we divide it out into, <laughs> in, triangles. Yeah, in triangles, triangles inside with of circles. triangles with <laughs> circles in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> That way, no one will ever understand what in the hell is going on. It will be so inefficient that there will be no... no- we have
0: to have a statue in every circle. That's and right. They're there'll all be, parks. Yeah, there'll be
1: no partisanship because <laughs> nobody understands where the hell they actually live or what's going on. <laughs>
0: That's Um, how I would design. That actually brings up one interesting point before I reveal what I think the most efficient system is and one thing we forgot to mention. This is another reason why I think the current configuration is so inefficient because there's too much power now vested in the entrenched states in their current configuration. It's almost impossible to add new ones. So Puerto, Puerto Rico and D.C., have no – there's no practical reason that they're not treated as
1: states except for power dynamics. That's exactly right. Both of them have populations far exceeding other states. Right. Both of them have economies far exceeding other states. Pay taxes far exceeding other states. Yes. And yet neither of them have congressional representation. So
0: again, just another example of why our our current system is probably not the worst, just the worst of all that have been tried. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jason. Are you you ready for my winner – Uh, On how I think that uh, we should design the states. All right. So I think you said it best, Jason, when you said all of the wars of the future will be fought over water. Right. So lucky for us in the United States, for all of our faults with our configuration of our state system, we did one thing right, Jason. We created a nice little agency. We created the U.S. Hydrological Survey. And thank goodness that we did. Because what the U.S. Hydrological Survey has done is broken the nation down into 20. Remember our number, Jason. We're trying to get to 20 based off our (laughs) ratio with Europe. It's almost too perfect. (laughs) The U.S. Hydrological Survey has broken down the the nation into 20 water regions dependent on the watersheds of that specific area. And one of the things I've come to understand as we've looked at this question and worked our way through it is – Water is at a sort is at the source of a lot of these problems. You can see it amplified more so on the, in the West Coast right now. But even just going back to West Virginia's lacks of, lack of access to a major watershed impacts its ability to conduct commerce and trade. And um, well,
1: and it's not just access to water; it's also what people dump into it. What, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A- absolutely. So I believe that water is the future, and we should take a hard look at reorganizing the United States into. 20 distinct, yet from a practical standpoint, states that make so much more sense and could be administered independently and efficiently in distinct ways. So by dividing the United States by watershed, you accomplish, you check almost all the boxes here. So the the Ogallala watershed Mm-hmm. is, is uh, consolidated into two distinct states. So we combine most of Montana, uh, most of Colorado, all of Missouri, North Dakota, most, uh, most of North Dakota, all of South Dakota into one state. So now you can administer the Ogallala watershed in one distinct area and have a centralized system for managing our agricultural production and make sure making sure we're doing it in a sustainable way. Um, California pretty much gets to remain on its own. Uh, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho kind of all fused together and have the resources and the autonomy they need to be able to exist sustainably. We talked about the problems with Nevada and uh, basically being in a, in a trapped tidal basin there. Nevada gets to combine with parts of Colorado finally get access to the Colorado River uh, and be able to get access to the water it needs at a state level to operate more efficiently. And as you move over, it gets a lot more simple as we move towards the East Coast. Um, the Great Lakes become a region. Ohio swallows up basically all the states that touch it and become a region. The South basically includes North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. The Mid-Atlantic is the Mid-Atlantic and New England is New England. And it's all based off of the watershed. And basically every problem and issue in infrastructure that we've looked at here all starts and ends in a very like almost cyclical way, begins and ends with water. So to me, this map, Makes a ton of sense.
1: So my initial thought on this is I, I, I think that you're actually pretty much right. I don't know enough about the regions that we're talking about to know if they would actually be self-sustaining from a water perspective. Um, but it certainly alleviates a lot of like the farming issues, a lot of you know hydroelectrical issues, a lot of the upper Mississippi versus lower Missi- Mississippi on this map. I could see some contention there, but that's just because there's a river that runs through both of them. And if the upper Mississippians decided to- <laughs> To dam up. To dam it or, or to start dumping. we still have a
0: federal government. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. No, you're not wrong. And the thing that appeals to me most about this, what was the, the name of the, the organization, the U.S. Hydrological- the US,
0: It's a bunch of science, U.S. Hydrological Survey. This was done by right. nerds with no stake in the game. Yeah, That's yeah. how you know it's good.
1: But to take them and elevate them to the most important- <laughs> Uh, political, like that's the most contentious
0: or, Senate confirmation, the director yeah, yeah. of the U.S. Hydrological Survey? If you could
1: do that overnight, man, that would just be... <laughs> worth the, the price of it. Yeah, just just watching that happen would be <laughs> so much fun to me. Yeah.
0: The other thing that I... The one drawback I have on this map, and I guess it's also worth mentioning, uh, Hawaii, Alaska, and then our Caribbean holdings all also become independent states there because they they all obviously being uh, separate from the contiguous United States
1: have their own watersheds to manage right so th- and all three have a lot of water and two of them even though it's salt water <laughs> still seem to do just fine yeah Alaska has no water issues. There is one hole in this plan, and that is this really. And I think we talked about this
0: in a previous episode. Um, Canada is the real threat here. Canada's foil has foiled us again right. uh, in our uh, in our quest towards efficiency as a country. There is a watershed on the map. If you look at it, it's basically twenty five percent of North Dakota, and then parts of Minnesota. And I don't think any of Wisconsin creeps creeps in. It's called the Sorez Red Rainy. Watershed.
1: Yeah, I saw that and I had no idea what any of – well, you know, I knew what one of those – or two of those words meant. So, so the, yeah.
0: the problem here is everything that you see, like basically in north, north Dakota and North Minnesota all used to be part of Canada. And then there are parts of Canada that used to be in the United States that are like north of Montana. And when we set up the 38th parallel, we basically decided to swap them so we could have a straight line. Across And so that watershed is part of what we got. The problem with that area is that it's just a bunch of windy creeks that are tributaries and spinoffs of the main watershed, which is on the Canadian side of the border. So we get all the crappy parts that... Uh, prevent development and screw over the people there from being able to be autonomous within their own watershed and Canada gets all the benefits. So the only sticky part of uh, organizing our states around watersheds is we probably have to give up a big chunk of North Dakota to Canada in exchange for something else because it wouldn't be practical to keep Yeah, it I don't see that
1: as a loss. Yeah. So
0: so we're good. We're good. And then they have to deal with all like the curses and stuff associated Apologies with Apologies to the, the
1: 14 people in North Dakota that would, <laughs> yeah. that would be that live there
0: and listen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um but besides that, if you get you look up this US uh ge- hydrological survey map and see the distinct water regions in the United States and then ask yourself, why shouldn't we organize ourselves I mean The reason the 13 colonies were set up the way they were, and frankly, the reason they came into the Union in the order that they did, was based off of resources, by and large. So if we were going to reorganize, why wouldn't we organize them based off the most precious resource of the future?
1: (laughs) Which is Bitcoin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yet again, another episode we still need to get to.
1: No, I, I I don't know. Again, going back to the very beginning of this episode, I don't find any of this plausible. But given the options that we've discussed today, I, you're not wrong. I I follow I follow your logic here. <laughs> there is
0: there's another benefit, and then there's another. Um, I I guess this also scares me when it comes to this idea too. The other benefit of this is that. It also clearly defines the roles of the states. So if you look like what we did with Missouri, and Missouri basically absorbs the bread belt, well, then Missouri is the agricultural state. Like oh. Missouri's responsibility is to produce the food. Yeah, that shit's and, a non-starter. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we go. And then California's responsibility becomes to, you know, export to Asia. And New England's responsibility becomes, well, we produce the intellectuals. Um, so now we start to get right. a little... No, we, no, no, no. We start to get a little um, Hunger Games,
1: right? Uh, well... Uh, it's either Hunger Games or G20, and the two are not mutually exclusive, <laughs> right? Uh, it's very uh, uh, neoliberal p- political concepts that have p- have not been borne out under practice over the past 50 years. Yet.
0: Right. No, no I, I totally get that. But at what point do you hit that event horizon, that point of no return between creating efficiency and then the danger of over-efficiency?
1: Wasn't this the Laffer Curve? The Laffer <laughs> the- Curve? what oh, what's the laffer curve uh, uh, and i'm i'm sure i'm getting this wrong and this will be a, a you know weird stupid <laughs> addition but there's the the efficiency versus productivity curve where and i don't think those are the two terms but it's basically an x you're you're mapping one thing in one direction one thing in the other direction and where they cross is is the point is the sweet of, spot is the yeah is the greatest efficiency um i think it's actually you know you, you've seen this with production and or, you know, supply and demand, production, and, and there are a number of different types of graphs that, that, that do this same thing. But this is exactly what you're talking about. is like how much efficiency do we get as opposed to how much discord do you end up with? And again, going back to the ant discussion. I was just about to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if one region is completely dependent on one thing – then it's not resilient this is this is the discussion we were having earlier about the difference between Texas and the other states in the in the aquifer region that you were talking about Ogallala aquifer aug- just Ogallala. say Ogallala just <laughs> just say it slowly after like 3 bourbons and a beer yeah i can't but <laughs> I just started to sound like some grandfather who's totally killing some word that's really offensive to everybody. Um, the the idea of retaining a specific capability within a specific region, excluding all other div, you know diverse capabilities, is just inherently economically we're dangerous. Already, we're
0: already doing it. We're just doing it inefficiently. So I'm saying
1: like the central
0: United well, States is already over leveraged into agriculture. So we might as well do agriculture really good
1: there. But we're not right like certain areas of the country certain states of the country are overleveraged in one area but they're not all over leveraged. right so eight of them are so let's
0: group those eight together and have them do a better job of the same thing of the same thing
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i don't know that that works like I, <laughs> I think that texas has the right idea that you know if, if you do, you know, resource extraction really, really well, well, all it takes is a dip in the market to kill that entire economy. So you diversify. You don't double down on resource extraction.
0: I don't know if I'm with you on this one because – we're already doing it anyway. I, I think now we're looking to solve a problem that isn't part of the question. It's not stupid or not stupid to the Midwest of the United States diversify its economy. It's not going to, it hasn't, and it's not likely to. So we might as make that we might as well make them really good at what they already do. Right, and but more it's efficient. also
1: not likely that they're going to all group together and, you know, start doing the same thing. As a region as opposed to a state. Unless so- we make them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we're back to my overlord <laughs> yeah. concept. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm fine with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, under my one state concept, I can just define that region as <laughs> Yeah. So
0: that, that's what I was gonna ask you. So in Calahandria, which is the future name of the former United States, right? Which which system are you looking at? You hit the reset button, Jason. I mean, we think we've agreed that it's not stupid that we should redraw the states, but it's Cal- it's Calahandria. How would you configure the your your new um your new conquest.
1: Well, I would let the leaders of each of the potentates figure that out themselves <laughs> because I would just have a quota system. Right? Yeah. <laughs> as, long, as long as you bring me my 20%. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so you, it's mafia style. That's entire. right. You're and and, and ne- if you don't bring me 20%, then next year it's 40%. And then- I'm just killing you and sending somebody and else in to run. Then it's the it. case for cannibalism. Yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah, and you know, in a thousand years, it's Dune. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So, uh, stu- stupid or well, actually, before we do the the final stupid or not stupid, I did have one great <laughs> uh, one great crab factual uh, that I found in this one when I was uh, doing obscure research. Did you know that in the agreement signed between the Republic of Texas and the United States, when we accepted the Republic of Texas into the United States as a state? There is a clause in that agreement that can be triggered at any time that is still like legally permissible today, that at any time, if Texas as a state decides it wants to, it can divide itself into up to five states <laughs> whenever it wants at any time.
1: I was not aware of that. Isn't that cool? Wow. I tell you what. Like there's just, there's essentially a, a,
0: a political boundary self-destruct button yeah. in Texas that you can hit and just poof, five new states. Wow.
1: I, I got to tell you, Texas had really, really, really better hope that Austin doesn't become a boom town like Atlanta. Yeah.
0: yeah. And if, if it does happen, I'm going straight to Texas to lead the campaign to name one of the states Ogallala. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in on it. Um, all right,
1: Jason, stupid or not stupid, we need to reset the map. Uh, I think that it's not stupid, given the discussion that we've had. I just don't think it's ever going to happen you you are not a gentleman sir you agreed <laughs> at the beginning according to the gentleman's agreement I I am not saying that it's stupid because it will never happen I'm saying it's not stupid I'm just saying it will never happen <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: uh, <laughs> I can't even with, with that one we're gonna fade out make sure that you uh, you get out and share this episode before we uh, we get annexed faster than sewers red rainy by Canada. <laughs> Until next time.